today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Elcantan. In our culture, the starting point is self. We ask, okay, well, why would I get married? What can I get out of it? How does it affect me? Does it make my life better? And then we kind of approach marriage that way from the standpoint of how does it affect us and how do we feel about it and what does it do for us? But the starting point of marriage in the Bible is very different. The starting point of marriage in the Bible is God. Our marriage relationship is part of our relationship with God. Open God, oh my soul, He is strong and He is strong to save. Contrary to popular belief, marriage is not all about you and what you can get out of it. Marriage should first and foremost be about God and how you can glorify Him through your relationship with your spouse. Pastor Ricky will be explaining that when you keep God first in your marriage, you focus on how to please the Lord, your marriage will be more blessed as you fall more in love with the Lord. You'll naturally love your spouse unconditionally and become more selfless. Well, let's join Pastor Ricky for part one of his message entitled, A Countercultural Marriage. 1 Peter 3, verse 1 says this, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord and You are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Well, this passage is pretty straightforward, but we're going to tackle it backwards. And the reason I'm doing it backwards, starting with verse 7, is that we bring a lot of cultural baggage into uh, our reading of the Bible. And this letter was written to a bunch of people in the first century with their own cultural understandings of marriage. And Peter lays it out in a particular way that makes the most sense to them. And it makes it makes sense to us, but I think there are some roadblocks in approaching it straight through. So what I want to do is back up a little bit and, and talk about kind of the overall foundation of marriage and then talk today to husbands in particular. And then in two weeks, we'll pick it up and apply Apply that to how then wives fit into that. Here's the big idea for all of verses one through seven, though. It's a big idea for this message and the one in two weeks is this. We are called to counter-cultural marriages. We are called to counter-cultural marriages because of God and to proclaim God. Okay, so we're called for our marriages to be weird, to be different, to be a little off, to be notable, but they are to be that way because of God. 
And they are to be that way to proclaim God to the people around us. Here's the first point today. The countercultural starting point for marriage. The countercultural starting point for marriage. You know, today there is a major debate in our culture of whether or not marriage is even relevant anymore. Uh, more and more couples are kind of doing everything that comes with being a married couple without a wedding license or without getting married. And they're sort of asking, I get this in people in my generation a lot, kind of asking, well, what's the point? If we can sort of, you know, do all of this without actually the ceremony or any of that stuff, why wouldn't we just do that? Now, in our culture, the starting point is self. We ask, okay, well, why would I get married? What can I get out of it? How does it affect me? Does it make my life better? And then we kind of approach marriage that way from the standpoint of how does it affect us and how do we feel about it and what does it do for us? But the starting point of marriage in the Bible is very different. The starting point of marriage in the Bible is God. Our marriage relationship is part of our relationship with God. I want to draw your attention right up front to something you may have missed when we read through the text. Peter warns the husbands to treat their wives with honor so that, listen to this, so that their prayers may not be hindered. See, the husband, the reason Peter says this is the husband may have been thinking, okay, well, I have my relationship with God kind of over here, and I have my relationship with my wife over here, and so I go to the Lord, and I pray, and I ask for things, and I'm religious, and then in this other section of my life, I relate to my wife, and we talk about the house and all of these other things, and and he may have thought of them, okay, they're separate. And in some ways in the ancient world, that, that was not uncommon, that you kind of did your stuff at whatever temple, whatever God you served, and then you kind of lived your life inside your marriage however you wanted to. And Peter is saying, no, 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 no. You, you can't dishonor your wife and then go commune with God in prayer because how you relate to your wife will affect the way that God relates to you right? This is simple, but this is really profound. Um, in the beginning, before marriage even existed, our relationship with God existed. In Genesis, before Adam related to Eve, he related to God. And so community and marriage are an overflow of God's character, but our starting point for our relationships with anyone and for our relationship to the world around us is God. Our relationship with God defines everything else. And, and in light of that, when that's right, and God makes marriage and makes community, he looks over it all and says, this is very good. So relating to God well means relating to others in the way that God prescribes, right? In the way that pleases God, not in a way that God despises or opposes. Think about it this way. Um, my wife is from Maryland and comes from a kind of a relatively small family. She has one brother. And so when, when she came to visit my family, I've got three sisters, um, and she came to visit and we were dating and she realized something about me that she may not have realized before that trip, which is this. I come attached to something and that something is a crazy family, Okay. There's like no way to like totally like section me out and just like relate to me by myself. Now, that's possible. You know, I'm visiting her in Maryland. My whole family's not there. But she's realizing, okay, 
there is a whole deal attached to this guy, and she's going to make a decision about that, right? Now, she was awesome, and my family loved her, but imagine this. Imagine if Jen had just come in, met my family, whom I, I love, and and kind of rolled her eyes and blown them off and been unresponsive and been mean and kind of cold. And I would have said, look, hey, come on. Like, well, what are you doing? And if she had said, well, listen, I, I like you, okay? I like you. Uh, it doesn't mean I have to relate to your family, though, because they're weird. Right? And I said, well, yeah, that's true, but I love them, okay? So, um, and I'm weird, too, if you haven't figured that out. And if you're going to relate to me, to some degree, it comes attached to this other relationship. There's no way that you can treat my family coldly and meanly and callously and then it not, and then us just be happy-go-lucky, right? Now, in a global sense, in a universal sense, a blow that kind of analogy way, way up to the point where the primary relationship in our lives is God. And the way that we relate to other people matters to God. And it, it's impossible for us to demean or dishonor or, or sin against other people whom God created, whom are made in his image, and God not take notice. For God to just go, hey, you know what? That's fine. I mean, really, I'm, I just care about us. He'd say, no, 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 no. That's why he tells husbands, husbands, listen. I mean, and this is, this is, a, this is a huge warning, Okay. If you do not treat your wife well, God will literally not listen to you, okay? Now, God sent Jesus to die on the cross for you so that this pathway of communication could be opened up, but you know what can hinder that? Your relationship to your spouse. Now, Peter has been laboring in this letter to help his readers see that they have been gloriously called by God and for God, that the goal of their lives is that everything in life may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ, 1 Peter 1.7. Everything in our lives is first and foremost vertical. It is about God, and this includes our marriages. Our marriages are first, listen, first not about our needs. They are not first about our spouse's preferences. They are not first about our perceived compatibility and how we like to relate to one another. They, our marriages are first about God. And Peter is pushing us to ask of everything in life, how can this result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ, including, now he ties in, your marriage. So this is why, if you're not rightly relating to your spouse, it's really an issue of your relationship with God, and it affects your relationship with God. Now, you may think, well, I don't have a problem with this area. I, I, I agree with you. But here's a couple things to consider. As a single person, have you ever kind of fallen hard for somebody, really liked them, really gotten involved with somebody, and then thought, okay, 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 I've decided to pursue this, um, now I need to like turn and think, okay, what does this do with my relationship with God? How can I get this like okay? Because I know like on first glance, he's probably not going to like it. But maybe like there's some things I can do. Like he's not really a Christian. She's not really a Christian. But you know, she's, this is I hear this all the time as a pastor. You know, they're searching. They're searching. And, and uh, they might not be Christian yet. You know, do they love Jesus? Like no, but you know, they, they're sort of searching. How are they searching? Well, you know, 
they like me, and so they agreed to come to church. Like, okay, I think they may have some ulterior motives. I don't know, maybe, maybe not. Um, but see, what happens is you go first, you don't first say, okay, well, how does my relationship with God affect who I'm going to pursue in marriage? You go, okay, I decided who I want to pursue in marriage. Now, how can I try to get that shoehorned into my relationship with God? Or if you're married, have you ever tried to fix problems in your marriage and wondered why do we just keep beating our heads against a wall? I think Peter would ask you, okay, well, your marriage, that affects your relationship with God. How's your relationship with God doing? And vice versa. You think your relationship with God is, is suffering and it's not right and something's off. Well, how, how's your relationship with your spouse? See, all of it's together and, and, and Peter's pushing us to ask, okay, how can this relationship exist first with the starting point of God and his glory and his purposes? So ask this question, what have you made the starting point for your relationship, either for your marriage or for thinking about marriage? Peter wants to push us, rather than asking, what do you want? Peter wants to ask, what does God want? What does God want in your marriage, in your life, in your future spouse, in your dating relationship? What does God want? That's the starting point. Now, a couple other starting points here. Second, God sees us from that starting point as gloriously the same. Now, probably the most shocking phrase to the ancient world when they read this letter would have been this line that since, you're supposed to do this, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Now, in this culture of the first century, women had few, if any, legal rights. A woman's testimony was not admissible in court. Now, certainly there were women of some standing who did business or who were rulers, but in general, most women were treated um, legally, socially, culturally as being at the bottom of society. Now, Bible is, I like to say, an equal opportunity offender. It offends every culture somehow in some way because it's not tied to any one particular culture. And the, the part of the Bible that, one of the parts of the Bible that offended the original culture was not how low the Bible's view of women was perceived to be, but how high it was perceived to be. See, today we have the opposite problem. We think, well, the Bible doesn't say very nice things about women. Well, in the first century, they would have been going, this is insane. You're not telling me that my wife is a co-heir with me. See, one, one example of this in Scripture is how prominently women are spoken of in the Gospels. There's a lot of stories that involve women, right, in the Gospels? That would have been unusual, especially the fact that two women were the first people to see Jesus after his resurrection of the dead. If you cared about what society thought, you would whitewash all of that, pick all guys' stories, maybe one girl, girl story about how she was bad and Jesus forgave her, but that was it. Now, this phrase, heirs with you, was shocking because women did not usually inherit. The, the sons inherited, not the daughters. And Peter says that every wife is an heir with her husband. No distinctions in God's sight. They are equal in the sight of God in terms of value and worth. And, and then See what they are heirs to. They are heirs with you to the grace of life. This is, this is not ordinary life, but eternal life that Peter is speaking of. Peter's 
laid out in 1 Peter 1 how there is a sure hope of life with God forever where everything will be restored. This is the most precious inheritance in the universe, the most precious inheritance that they could have imagined. And this is what Peter is saying. Every single wife, regardless of education or class or race, was an heir with her husband. Paul says this forcefully in Galatians 3. He says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Meaning everyone that was saved and was baptized and has put on Jesus, you have put on Christ. There is neither than Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. There is no male or female for all. You are all one in Christ Jesus. He's, he's taking these categories that would have been up here, down here, up here, down here, and saying, no, 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 all of them are valuable. All of them are loved in the sight of God. No distinctions. Think of it this way. Uh, imagine that you're invited to the ball of a king in the ancient world, but, and, and in fact, your whole town is invited, and you go into your closet, and you think, oh, man, all I have are these kind of dirty, filthy work clothes, but, but you, you dig through your few tunics and you find the best one. You try to beat it out and clean it. And, and you walk out of your house and your neighbor's going, like looking you up and down and you're looking your other neighbor up and down. You're all trying to decide, okay, which of us is going to look the best when we go to see the king? And so maybe there's some like joking or even some unkind words being exchanged by, oh, you're going to wear that. Okay. Like, and so your whole town is welcomed into the presence of the king and you arrive at the palace only to realize there are shades of white that you've never seen being worn by people, right? They're, the guards are immaculate and spotless. The court attendants are immaculate and spotless and you're led into the presence of the king. It's ornate, it's glorious, it's amazing. And listen, the king looks down and you suddenly realize something. Nobody in this group looks better than anyone right? The guy that had the dirtiest outfit you guys were making fun of as you walked into the palace, listen, he doesn't look any better off than the person with the best outfit. It's all totally inappropriate for the presence of the king. But the king does this. The king says, I see what I've done and I'm sorry. Servants, go and have my own clothes taken out of the closets. I want all of them to cover the people in front of me. Everyone here gets a robe. And so you get one of the king's own robes to stand in the presence of the king. That is the picture that scripture gives for us relating to God, that, that none of us, by virtue of our good works or our class or our education or our ethnicity, none of us kind of one up everyone else. Everyone needs Jesus. Everyone is in need of a savior. But what Jesus does is he gives his robe to us. He goes to the cross, dies in our place so that we could wear the robe of his righteousness and his good works so that we stand in the presence of the king. We are seen not as dirty, but as spotless because of the righteousness of Jesus. And what Peter is saying is this. Everyone, whether you're a man or a woman, a wife or a husband, a Jew or a Greek, a slave or a freed person, when God sees you in his presence, he rejoices because you're clothed in his righteousness. And friend, I want you to hear something. If you're here and you're not a Christian today, the way that you get to God is not by cleaning up your, your robes or trying to spot clean 
so that they're acceptable to God, so you can start coming back to church, so you can get right with him and start praying again and all of that. The only way to get right with God is to say, listen, this is totally wrong. I can't stand in your presence and receive the gift of Jesus' robe and his righteousness. And you can do that today because God loves his children. He sees them as gloriously the same. And this applies specifically here to men and women. Um, there have been societies in, in history where women have been looked down on and demeaned, and, and Jesus will have none of it. The Bible will have none of it. Peter will have none of it. He says, you are co-heirs of the grace of life. You know, a few uh, weeks ago, my son Ford, uh, who's three, out of nowhere, uh, announces something. This is what he announced to us. Dada is strong and mama is pretty. I thought, and I looked at my wife like, did you tell him to say that? And she's like looking at me like, hey, he's your son. I don't know. And, I, and it's funny, in that moment, you get these moments as parents and you think, okay, how do I even respond to this? And so I did try to do two things in that moment. One is I tried to affirm, yeah, mom is pretty. And I'm glad you think dad is strong. Um, but one of the things that I did try to reinforce with him was this. And mama is strong too. Because, see, in his three-year-old mind, strong people are like the best people, right? So he may not have realized but what he's saying is, my dad is really strong, and then my mom doesn't have that, but at least she has this other thing. <laughs> and I tried to help him see, no, 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 buddy. Jesus loves mama and daddy the same. Your mama is strong too. I want him to grow up valuing women, especially his sisters in Christ, as co-heirs to the grace of life. Not the boys are up here, women are down here. That's what Peter is saying today. Now, there's a temptation for men, even in our more advanced, quote-unquote, society, we face the same temptation not to see women or wives as our equals. Husbands, let me ask you this. Do you ever roll your eyes at your wife? Do you ever get frustrated and impatient with an area of her life that she, she doesn't know how to manage the money right? She doesn't know how to keep the house up right. She doesn't know how to do this right. And so you find yourself short and impatient. This passage would call you to remember this. She is a co-heir with you of the grace of life that Jesus Christ came from heaven to earth to purchase her soul and she has a glorious inheritance waiting for her and she is loved as a daughter of the king. There's also a temptation for uh, women in this. This can happen in the opposite direction and in different ways. We have the trope in our culture of the clueless, good-for-nothing husband that just sits down, watches football, can't can't balance a checkbook, can't do anything with the house, he's clueless, he's stupid, he walks in, the kids laugh. Is there any sense in which you've bought into some of that with your husband? Hoping God, oh my soul, he is strong and he is strong to save. Hoping God, he's a rock and you hide in place. He's a mighty fortress. The book of First Peter is one of those hard-hitting books in the Bible intended to shake us to the core. In this series, Pastor Ricky will be sharing messages entitled The Countercultural Christian Community and The Time is Short and many more. Each one of these messages will bring insight into specific areas in the Christian life. 
You've been listening to Better News Radio, the radio ministry of Pastor Ricky Elcanta of Cross of Grace Church in El Paso, Texas. CD copies of today's study are available when you email us at radio at betternewsradio.com. That's radio at betternewsradio.com. Today's message, as originally presented at Cross of Grace Church, can be downloaded from our website at www.betternewsradio.com. If you can't get to your computer to download or place an order, you can always call us at 915-562-7100. We'll be happy to help you. Again, the number to call is 915-562-7100. Perhaps today's message was exactly what you're looking for in a church. If you don't have a home church and you sense God is calling you to walk in obedience to Him by being a part of the body of believers, please join us for worship Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. Community groups of believers also meet throughout the week in many locations around the city for Bible study, fellowship, and prayer. For more information, including driving directions, visit betternewsradio.com. We hope to see you soon. Music heard here on Better News Radio is courtesy of Sovereign Grace Music. Pastor Ricky will continue sharing messages from his series in the book of 1 Peter next time on Better News Radio. Open.